We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 this morning. And the sermon title this morning is A Tale of Two Brothers. A Tale of Two Brothers. Uh, the holidays are coming up. And in the holidays, uh, you typically, you know, for if you're, uh, you're like me, you really enjoy the holidays. But some people, the holiday, what, what, bring the, what comes along with the holidays is a time of difficulty. There's, there's uh, loved ones that have been lost. Uh, there are sorts of things like that that are just difficult. Maybe painful memories from your past uh, that are associated with the holidays. Um, but what also happens is, is people that are just annoying in your family, the annoying uncle, the annoying brother, the annoying cousin, all of a sudden is in your home. Uh, or you're in their home, and uh, tensions can rise, uh, and, and simply, it's just, a, for some reason, a just truth of the universe that, that everybody has a crazy uncle or a crazy aunt. Now, let me just see a show of hands. Is that true of you? <laughs> Most everybody just has that person in the family that's just kind of weird. Uh, then in sibling, uh, in, in you know, sibling relationships, sometimes they can be uh, uh, unique. Does anybody here have just unique sibling relationships? Okay. Right? Just odd sibling relationships. And then there can be times where sibling relationships completely dissolve, where you don't have any relationships. And I won't make you show, uh, do a show of hands for that. But uh, unfortunately, there, there are cases where there, there are siblings that, that simply don't have any contact with each other anymore. Uh, lives that have been lived in just completely different, different manners and different ways. And I think uh, um, even down to an early age, uh, sibling rival, rivalries can begin. Uh, and unfortunately, there, there's just family despair at times. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at just uh, the root, the, just the root of all roots of family uh, disorder, of family uh, problems, of family difficulties, and of sibling rivalry. And <clears throat> we're going to do that by looking at Cain and Abel. And you have Cain and Abel, these two brothers, uh, that I think we can learn a lot from. In fact, the New Testament, I'm going to read three verses, the New Testament's going to sh shine a light on some of the things that we should learn from both Cain and Abel. Almost everybody here, I'm assuming, has heard of Cain and Abel. Uh, and if you haven't, well, we're, go we're going to. But uh, there are things for us uh, to not just blow past, that we need to, to learn from these two men and their conflict, uh, what happened and what we need to, to pull from it. And so in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, We should not be like Cain. Okay, so there's something that we need to learn from Cain. We need to learn to not be like Cain. Not just as a sibling, but as a person in general. There are going to be things for us to learn from Cain. So we want to positively learn from the negative. We do not need to be like Cain, who was of the evil one who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So there's something about the way of righteousness that causes animosity with those who are walking in the way of wicked, of the wicked. We don't need to be like Cain. We do need to be like Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by, his, by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So if Abel still speaks through his faith, then there's something for us to hear. If we're to learn to not be like Cain and Abel is still speaking, then Genesis chapter 4 has things for us to glean this morning. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it says, And Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and, to the, and, and sprinkled, into the spr sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
So there's something in the blood of Abel, the spilled blood of Abel, that points us in some way to Jesus, and there's going to be a better word for us to find this morning than the blood of Abel. And so we're going to hear God speaking to us through Genesis chapter 4. Uh, but we need God's help as always, so let's just do that right now. Let's pray. And, and when as I pray, um, you know, we all come in. I, I hope majority of us come in joyful this morning. I really do hope that. That's how I'm coming in. I'm coming in joyful. Happy. Just generally speaking, uh, uh, I'm just happy. I'm coming in here with joy this morning. I hope that's the case with you. If it's not, I pray that that's the case when you walk out of these doors. I pray that God specifically and the way that you need to hear from Him this morning speaks to you, and your ears and your heart are awakened, and you're convicted in the specific way you need to be convicted, and God opens your eyes and your heart to a specific way in which you need your eyes and your heart open this morning. I don't want you to just come here, go through the motions, you know, do the thing, receive communion, sing a few songs. Uh, may it not be just another week. Like We came here to meet with God this morning, right? We came here to meet with each other and to hear from God. So let's expect God's going to do something this morning in your heart, in your life, that you're going to walk out of here different than when you came in. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I ask for your help. Uh, God, we pause together as this family, and we recognize, and I say on behalf of them, we know that you are with us. You are in us. That we are your people or your bride. You have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to give us a new heart. And we all come in here in different stages of life. There's some children in here. There's some junior hires in here, high schoolers, college students, younger adults, new married, those who have been married a long time, those who are new fathers, new mothers, those who have children that are grown and out of the home. And there is no way possible that I can speak directly to every one of them in the way that they need to hear it. Only you can do that. And so God, meet with us. We want to be changed by your presence and your power this morning. God, I pray for the children that are in here right now. God, I thank you for them. I thank you that they matter. That Jesus, you said to them, as we all kind of gather and we say, well, no, the kids don't matter. Let's get the adults and blah, 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 blah. And Jesus, you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let the children come to me. And so God, I'm expecting for all the children that are in here this morning that you're beginning to awaken them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to bring conviction to them on the level that they can understand. And I pray even just the, the beginning longings of, I need Jesus. I don't understand. I don't understand everything, but I know this Jesus that I see my dad and my mom worshiping. I want him. And God, I just ask and just just meet with us. I know that you're here with us. And through these words, these ancient words that are inspired, that you're, they're your words. Help us to be faithful to your words. We want to learn to not be like Cain. And we want to see this blood that the blood of Abel speaks of. There's this better blood. And let us connect these dots. Help us. I just trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read. I'm going to read verse 1 all the way down to verse 13. Excuse me, verse 12. 
So you can read along with me if you so choose. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their, fat, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and it's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. In this chapter, we have bookend statements by Eve. We have Eve saying in Chapter 4, verse 1, something about her getting Cain. And then in verse 25, we have something about her getting Seth. And she has statements that are unique. And I want to look at these bookend statements from Eve because they're going to help us see a pattern with both Cain and Abel in the middle parts of the chapter. So the first part I want you to look at is in verse 1 and 2, and I want you to pay attention carefully to what Eve says about giving birth and conceiving, conceiving and then giving birth to Cain. Her words are this in verse 1, quote, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She says, I have gotten man with the help of the Lord. Now I want to do a little compare and contrast with what she says at the end of the book. Now I want you to pay attention to these words. When she conceives and, and then Seth is born, here's what she says in verse 25, quote, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. In the first sense, in the first words of Eve in this chapter, what she's saying is, me and God did some things here. And I was able to conceive and bring forth a man with God's help. So it was me and God who brought this boy into the world. And then the second one, she, she just says, God appointed for me. She doesn't have any language about her involvement in this at all. She just says, God appointed for me another son named Seth. Everything went bad with this first son, Cain. So God now has appointed for me another son. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see this dance all the way through this chapter of two ways. We have two sons and two ways of salvation. We have two sons and two different dealings with people and with God. The first way is that, yeah, God exists, but I'm, I'm kind of okay, and I help him out with a lot of things. And he and I are, uh, you know, he kind of does his part, and I kind of do my part, and it's kind of this karma dance that we got going on. 
I acknowledge there's a God. He acknowledges me. If I do my part and I'm faithful in my part, then He's going to come through and He's going to do His part. And this is Cain. The way of Cain. And then you have the way of Abel, this faithful younger son who comes with a burnt off or comes with an offering before the Lord with a slain lamb and expresses faith in God. Not in himself, not even in his sacrifice. He expresses faith in God. And then Eve says at the end of the chapter, Behold, God is appointed for me. She gives all credit for God, to God for her son Seth. So there's this dance, karma-like dance. If I do my part, God will do his part. And then there's this second way where, God, where Eve just says, God has appointed for me. God has done it. And this is the representative words or statement for what we see in Abel, the younger son. So we have works-based salvation, we could say. And we have grace-based salvation, we could say. We have the way of the world. I help God out. And the way of Christianity, God saves sinners. He does the work. We have these two different ways that we can look at. First, verse 3 starts with Abel. So let's look at Abel first. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Okay, why would God have regard for Abel and his offering and not have regard for Cain and his offering? Now, for some reason, commentators abound in their understanding of this. Of Well, it's because the sacrifice and the blood, and there, I think, some merit to all of that. But I think the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, the Bible interprets itself, and so if you're ever confused about uh, verses, we'll first read before that verse and after that verse, and then can go to a commentary or go to a concordance or pray. Just keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. And you know what? What you're going to find is you keep reading and keep studying and keep praying that you start to understand some things more than you did the year before. And then five years down the road, you're going to start to see, you know what, this kind of enigma that I couldn't crack open four years ago, you know what, I, I, have it, I, I get it now. I understand. The Holy Spirit begins to show you things from His Word. The Bible interprets the Bible. So if we look at why Cain's offering wasn't accepted, we can find out why Abel's offering was accepted. Cain offered his sacrifice in a sinful way. He did not do well, therefore he was not accepted. Sin was crouching at his door, its desire was for Cain, and Cain did not rule over it. He did not offer his sacrifice in faith, and then by contrast, why was Abel's accepted? Because he did offer it in faith. And this is confirmed in Hebrews 11, verse 4. We've already read it, we're going to read it again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Faith. 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 You ever heard of this? Faith alone. We are, sanct we are saved, justified by faith and not by works of the law. Okay, To become a Christian, what has to happen? There has to be repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Conviction starts at an early age, does it not? This morning, we were disciplining our son, and Ransom, he um, didn't want to say sorry for what he was doing, I, we, so we put him in timeout after we spanked his butt. We put him in timeout, 
and said, buddy, are you sorry? Do you feel, no, not sorry. Um, Like, buddy, and so you have to sit there. And then uh, the remorse started to build when he realized he was going to have to sit in time out a little bit longer, right? So even the remorse, it wasn't perfect. He just, he just did, he was more remorseful that he had to sit in the timeout more than he was disobeying. But those sorts of things are beginning to happen in him. We were driving away the other day and he, um, uh, from small group or it was some outing where he was uh, with some other kids and he said, Jesus, help me, it was with his cousin Charlie, Jesus, help me be nice to Charlie. Like, oh God, keep cultivating that in him. Holy Spirit, keep bringing that conviction in him. Yes, that's good. So we stopped and said, did you, were you mean to Charlie? Yeah, yeah, I was mean to Charlie. So you, you get this conviction, okay? Yeah, he's mean to Charlie. So this conviction that happens. Uh, and so to become a Christian, we recognize, you have to recognize that you have sinned against God and you repent of that sin and you trust in a substitute sacrifice, And by God's grace, then we are counted righteous. We're forgiven. God accepts that by grace and the faith to to be expressed is not just in our back pocket. Even the faith to believe we see is a gift from God. If there's no God, there's no faith, we could say. So faith is a result of God existing and God giving it. And then, as it's expressed, we are justified. Not by works of the law, not by anything that we have done or anything that we have not done as if we can be justified by uh, you know, abstaining from certain things that we're supposed to abstain from or anything like that. We are justified by faith. And the message that Abel uh, expressed, it still comes forth. The, it comes forth. Though, and though his, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. God accepted through faith, through Abel's repentance and through his faith, and he accepts that, and then he is counted righteous. He is commended as righteous, and this is how we all come to the faith. This is the gospel, blood being spilled, already at work in Genesis chapter 4. We've already seen it previous uh, as God clothed Adam and Eve as they left the garden He covered their shame. Remember last week we talked about that? Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with uh, with plants, and God comes and covers them with skins, covers their shame. God shed blood. Here we have Abel shedding blood for his sins and expressing faith in God. And that is still the message of salvation today. Repentance from sin and faith in Christ. But that's the first way that we see. The second way is the way of Cain. And this is works without faith. He did not do well, verse 5 through 7 says. Look with me. It says in verse 5, But for Cain and his offering, he, speaking of God, had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. Here's what we find out about Cain. He did not do well, and he did not rule over sin. So he came to God believing that his sin did not require blood. Yeah, Abel's maybe, but not mine. I'll just bring some fruit from the field. He most certainly heard the message of God shedding blood to cover his parents' nakedness and God bring them out of the garden. He most certainly saw Abel doing this and should have known that blood is required for the forgiveness of sins. But he came with fruit. And he came in self-confidence. And he did not come in faith. 
That's why we should not be like Cain, whose father was the evil one and he murdered his brother. His own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So Abe or Cain came and it looks like, well, that's somewhat commendable. He brings from the fruit of the harvest and he gives it to God. Uh, but the Bible says that it's from a sinful place, a sinful motive. And motives matter. You know, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter. And even like in marriage or even relationships between siblings, it doesn't matter that you just do the right thing. It matters why you did the thing you did or didn't do. Motives matter. It's not just that we obey, it's why we obey. As several pastors have said, and so I don't know which pastor I'm stealing that phrase from, but I'm sure it's somebody. It's why you obey. And what we, are, we find out about Cain's motives is that they were sinful. He had sinful motives. And then, not to be confused by the commands of God, uh, God commands Cain to rule over sin. And in fact, that's our responsibility as well. The New Testament commands this as well. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The command still hovers upon us. If you do well, you will live. If you do not do well, you will not. And that is still the rule of the world. If you do well, things will go well. Generally, you can be saved if you just never sin. You can be right with God. Well, what's the problem? We can't do that. There's this thing called human sinfulness and inability. But the expectation is still there. And so here's what we can say about God's commands. Because some people have twisted this and said, well, if God commands humans to do something, that, that speaks to human ability then. Okay, follow me. If God tells a human to do something, then the inappropriate understanding of this is, well, then that means that humans can do it. It's a misunderstanding of the law. Well, if God commands me to do it, He wouldn't command me to do something I can't do. It says who? It's all through the Scriptures. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Could there, is that telling us about human ability? Or is it revealing to us something of our need? And it is the latter. We can say it like this. The commands of God do not communicate human ability. The commands of God do not communicate human ability. Okay, so if I do well, I'll be accepted. So I'm going to do well. And if you do not do well, sin is crashing at its door, its desires for you, you must rule over it. So I can rule over sin. The commands of God do not communicate human ability. Rather, they reveal human inability and sinfulness. On the tail end of this command, what happens? What does Cain do that infamous day in the field? Cain goes out and kills his brother. He already brings an unacceptable, unacceptable sacrifice because of sinful motives. The commands of God are intended to show you God's standards, but reveal the fact that we have sinned against God. We can't rule over our sin. That's why we need a substitute Savior. If we could rule over our sin, rule over it, why do we need a Savior? But the message of Genesis 4 screams to us, You need a Savior! You have not ruled over your sin. You have sinned against people and against God. You need God. So the commands of God don't point to your ability. They show us our sinfulness and our inability, our need. It's like a band-aid getting ripped off. Ah! Okay, oh, that's okay. Yeah, I'm in need. I'm in need. And that is what the message of that verse proclaims to us. We are in need like Cain was in, e e Cain was in need. 
verse 8 shows us that a seed called anger can grow into a tree called murder. This is how sin works. Beginning stages begins to build and it begins to express itself in larger and larger ways. And it begins to be more and more visible. And it's just like the, the analogy or the illusion or the illustration, whatever you call it. If you tell one lie, it gets you into another lie. And then it makes you tell more lies to get out of your lives. And then you can't remember what lies you told to who. And so you're telling lies to guard yourself against telling these lies and getting found out here. And you're just all of a sudden in a mess. Verse 8 says this, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Here's the irony in this. It was Cain who sinned against God, and it was Cain who was enraged at Abel. Cain, instead of being upset with himself, turns his anger and blame shifts like his parents, and now he is enraged with his very own brother. This is the root of sibling warfare. I don't like that my younger brother, Cain, is thinking, is acceptable before God, and here I am, and I am unacceptable, and I hate him for it. This is how sin works. Cain blames everybody but himself for his sin. The question then that hovers us is, will we acknowledge our own sin? Unacknowledged sin gives way to more and more sin. So every pocket in our life that we don't acknowledge, hey guys, welcome, come on in. Uh, we got seats up here, I think, uh, I think these are it, so we'll have to have you come, come in the front. Every pocket of sin in our life that goes unacknowledged, and yet they are sins, if we are in Christ, that are already forgiven and paid for. But it creates more and more. If we just unacknowledge, we just act like it's not there, if we just kind of shove it in the, in the closet or underneath the carpet, then it begins to come more and more outside of us. It begins to destroy and to kill us. And so, we need to have those sins be exposed and for God to deal, deal with us in those areas. We need to repent of them and move and walk forward in obedience. Unacknowledged sin gives way to more and more sin. This is the first murder, and in fact, it is the first martyr. I want you to hear this. Abel did what was, what was right, and he was killed for it. He did what was right, and he was killed for it. This is the Christian life. Um, God's done a great and unbelievable work in John and Angel's life over the last few years. Their house burned down. Their house burned down. To follow Jesus doesn't mean that everything in your life will go perfect. Here, Abel, Abel does what's right and he gets killed in a field. He's the first martyr. I don't know what the future holds, but we may be martyrs in this room. We may be martyrs in the future for obeying Jesus, for following Him. This is the, the church has been marked with and grown through the blood of the martyrs. They're the seed of the church, martyrs throughout the world who have been faithful to Jesus, and things have not gone, gone you know, like, hey, all right, I love Jesus and now I'm a millionaire. And so here, Abel is faithful, and he gets killed. For it. By the way, we're going to pray afterwards today before we go because I thought John and Angel were going to be able to be here. And many of you, this is a sidebar caveat in the sermon, uh, 
Many of you have wondered, okay, how can we help? Fortunately, they did have insurance. Insurance is covered, cost of living, cost of even clothes. They're going to pay for them to even get an apartment uh, until their new place uh, or their, their place gets rebuilt. Um, right now, their big needs are care, prayer, messages. I am thinking about you, Facebook, text them, whatever. They've got things like food and clothes, those things covered. Um, but those sorts of things, we need to be encouraging them in. Okay, so text, call, whatever, just let them know you care. Okay, now back to the sermon. So a seed called anger grew in a tr- into a tree called murder. And then in verse 9 and 10, we get into talking about the blood of Abel. Verse 9 and 10 says this, The Lord saw Cain and said, Where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood was spilled and somehow or another it went up and God knew about this and his blood was speaking to God. And what was God's response to this blood that went and spoke to God from the ground? Well, the response from God is this, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Cain went on in verse 13 and he said, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And God sends him out to be a wanderer and a nomad. He goes on to give birth and somehow finds a wife. It's a question that people continue to ask. It's like, you know, the belly button question, you know. Did they have belly buttons, Adam and Eve? And then the questions go, well, where did Cain find a wife? I have no idea, but apparently Cain found a wife. And they had children. And in fact, the lineage of Cain seems quite impressive at first. We find that it is not the lineage of faith. It is not the lineage in which uh, Jesus would come. It is the lineage of, in fact, the evil lineage, the evil line. His father was the devil himself. But here's what happens in his lineage. He begins to have kids, to have children. Uh, His children go out and they build cities, not just homes. They go out and build cities, and that's pretty remarkable. So, When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And it goes on, and Lamech took two wives. There's a biogamy, the first sinful path or the the direction of more than one wives begins in Genesis 4. It goes on, uh, his brother's name uh, is Jabal, and his father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. So here we have instruments being made from the line of Cain. uh, And then... Uh, uh, other names uh, in verse 22 he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and silver so these things happen from this lineage but what we want to focus on specifically is the blood of Abel the blood of Abel what does it speak what does it speak to us beyond the grave what's the message for us because Abel's blood still speaks this morning Abel's blood was spilled and it got the attention of God and God comes down in judgment to this blood Charles Spurgeon is going to be helpful with this, and I want you to read this. This morning I read this, just, and I reread it, and was just weeping. And I just want you to hear how powerful this is. And now, beloved, listen to this. Just contrast this with the blood of Christ. That is Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. He hangs upon a tree. He's murdered. Murdered by His own brethren. Hear this, Cain Hear this, Cain. 
murdered by his own brethren. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but his own led him out to death. He bleeds, he dies. And then is heard a cry in heaven. The astonished angels again start, start from their seats, and they say, What is this? What is this cry that we hear? And the mighty maker answers yet again, It is the cry of blood. It is the cry of the blood of my only begotten and my well-beloved Son. And God, uprising from His throne, looks down from heaven and listens to the cry. And what is that cry? It is not of revenge. But the voice crieth, Mercy! 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 Did you hear it? It said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Herein, the blood of Christ speaketh better things than that of Adam, for, for of that of Abel. For Abel's blood said, Revenge! And made the sword of God start from its scabbard. But Christ's blood cried, Mercy! And sent the sword back again and bade it sleep forever. Blood hath a voice, poem, blood hath a voice to pierce the sky. You hear this? Blood speaks, it pierces the sky. Revenge! The blood of Abel cries. But the rich blood of Jesus slain speaks peace as loud as every vein. You will note too that Abel's blood cried for revenge upon only one man, upon Cain. It required the death of but one man to satisfy it, namely the death of the murderer. Blood for blood. The murderer must die the death. But what saith Christ's blood in heaven? Does it speak only for one? Oh no, beloved. The free gift hath come upon many. Christ's blood cries, Mercy, 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 not on me, but on the multitude whom no man can number. Ten thousand times ten thousand. The Christ that humanity killed is the very death, that death, that saves His murderers. We get acquittal by the blood of the judge that we sinned against. Acquittal from the we Cain slay our Savior and we get a positive credit for that. His blood spilled for us. We Cains get to come into the presence of God because of our faithful brother whose blood speaks a better word than Abel's blood. Abel's blood spilled in a field and it brings judgment. Christ's blood is spilled because of the sin against Him from His brothers and mercy comes down. That is remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Acquittal by the blood of the judge that we sinned against. So there's two ways to respond to this beautiful blood. There's two ways to respond to this message. It has implications for non-believers and it has implications for believers. Because as we hear this, how on earth can those who slayed the Son be counted as righteous? How can we receive anything but judgment? 
How can we, like Cain in this room, get anything? We can understand how we would get anything but favor, but how does favor come upon a company of Cain's? By the grace of God and the grace of God alone. So there's two ways to respond. Remember the bookends of Eve. Okay, the bookend one is, me and God have done this thing. The bookend two is, God has appointed me another son. We have the way of Cain, who comes along and says, oh, here's some fruit of the field. My sin doesn't require a blood sacrifice. So the first way is we can be like Cain. And this is for the non-believers specifically. We can come, we can reject our sinfulness. We can reject God's way for ourselves. And instead of faith in Christ, faith in Christ, nah, I'll just work harder. I'll work harder. After all, I'm a generally moral man or woman. I'll give my shirt off my very back to anybody who has need. And if there's a God in heaven, I'm going to make sure that I'm right before Him. And the way of Cain says, just be a good person. Just be a moral person. Give what you want to God here and there. But don't repent of your sin. Don't trust in Christ. You do the work. God tells you to do it, you do it. It's the way of Cain. What is the way of Abel? The way of Abel is acknowledging sinfulness. To approach God, I need blood. Because before Him, if there's not a sacrifice, a suitable sacrifice, then I can't come before Him. So we can acknowledge sinfulness. And secondly, we can come for the non-believer in repentance and faith to God in the work of Jesus on the cross. This is just astoundingly crazy. To become a Christian is everything about what Christ has done for us. When Cody came to me, I remember very vividly, and we prayed together, and we were crying together, and I, it's like I didn't give him a prayer to pray. I just said, just cry out, Jesus, save me. And on my shoulder, as we were hugging, he just said, Jesus, save me. And it's like he had felt sorrow for sin. He was expressing faith in Christ, and Jesus saved him. That conviction that he felt before, what was that? That was God at work. That wasn't Cody just saying, like, I'm going to fix myself that day. That wasn't John Gunther saying, I'm just going to fix myself. It wasn't Jared Sparks, I'm just saying, I'm going to fix myself. It was God reaching down, breathing life into us, and bringing a spiritually dead corpse alive. So we trust in God then. The way of Abel is to trust in God even if it leads to death. Here's the deal. Do you realize that as a Christian, we everything we have is by grace. Do you look, if you look to your left and your right and you see your family members, it's not just salvation that's by grace. It's the grace of God that you look and you have family members, you have siblings, that you have friends, that you have a job, you have all that you have. And if you had none of it, God would still be gracious and just as good. If you had none of that, He would be just as gracious and just as good. And there may come a day, may come a day, when you're all alone, you don't have anybody around you, but all you have is Jesus. And in that day, the Holy Spirit will so help you, and you'll be able to say, He's enough. He's enough for me. And He's still good. He's as good as ever.
and you'll be with him forever. The way of Abel is, no matter what, even if I have nothing, even if things don't go well for me, even if I die murdered in a field, I'm going to be faithful. I love him. I just want to know him. Faithful to death. So here's our response. Now we want to go back to Eve. I want to learn from Eve. Okay, and I want you to hear this. Are you a Christian because you or because of God? Because you or because God? God. Thanks, Carol. Because God. The more you understand that, the more gratitude will be in your heart. As long as we, this is for now Christians, as long as we think that our salvation was the I scratch God's back, He scratches my back thing, as long as you think your salvation is I, along with God, made this man, as long as your understanding is I, along with God, made me who I am today, gratitude will be diminished. And if you get this morning the second bookend, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. If you get this morning, God has appointed for you salvation. And He saved you single-handedly. And He washed you up. He cleaned you up. He gave you a new heart. He gave you the faith to believe. He did everything for you. And the person you are, anything that you have, it's all of God's grace. If you get that, you won't have any trouble worshiping this morning. Gratitude fills your heart. The way of Cain has no room for gratitude except for yourself. The way of Abel has all gratitude because it's all the work of God. It's all the work of God. So this morning, there's a better blood than Abel's that speaks to us. It's the very blood of Christ, our faithful big brother who we murdered and who died. He took the punishment of his very murderers that he could give to them what the reward that he earned. Here, for, in exchange for you murdering me, Jared, I'm going to give you eternal life what I earned for you. I'm going to give you life. It's powerful. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace. Um, I thank you that Jesus, your blood being spilled, is the reason we have mercy. That Father, in love, you sent your Son to come and to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for Cain's and for Abel's, for prodigals, and for religious goody-two-shoes, for little boys and little girls, for grandparents, for great-grandparents, for 40-year-old workaholics, for 32-year-old stay-at-home moms. And God, I ask that right now, you would help our hearts turn to you in gratitude. That it was our blood that should have been spilled and instead, Jesus, your blood was spilled in our place. And I ask for gratitude just to build in this room that we would be thankful for your work on our behalf. I pray for faith, God, to be unleashed. I pray for conviction to run rampant. And God, I pray for your glory to shine supremely through everything for the rest of this time we have together. 
It's going to be our joy to sing to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.